0: You're listening to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast with your host, Vanessa Weisbrod. Welcome to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast. I'm Vanessa Weisbrod coming to you from the Celiac Disease Program at Children's National Health System. I want to welcome a very special co-host into the studio today. I have Sandy Warnes from the Walter and Jean Boak Global Autoimmune Institute. She's been a longtime partner of our program, and I'm so glad she's joining me. Welcome, Sandy. Hey. So today's podcast hits on an important topic that comes up regularly in the media. We hear lots of news reports about people going on a gluten-free diet when they don't need to be medically. We most often think about this happening in adults but a study led by a team of researchers at the Mayo Clinic now reports that this is happening among school-age children as well. To share more with our listeners about this controversial topic, I have Dr. Ahmad Abza in the studio with me. He is a pediatric gastroenterologist at the Mayo Clinic and, a, and the leader of the Gluten-Free Diet in School-Aged Children's in Olmstead County, Minnesota study that was published in the Avanciana Journal of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Abza. I'm so glad you could join us. Thank you for having me. happy to join. So, I'm not going to bury the lead. Your study found more children in the school district were on a gluten-free diet than there were patients in the same district diagnosed (coughs) with celiac disease. Why do you think this is? Why are there kids on a gluten-free diet who don't have to be?
1: So, you know, about a year before that study, we actually looked at the celiac disease in Homestead County. So we had good understanding about, how many kids in our county and community are on gluten-free diet? I I talked to the school nurses and dietitians, and they also brought up the question, like, we see other kids on gluten-free. I don't know how many they had or what the indication was. That came out around the same time when the enhanced data from adult showed that there are more people on gluten-free diet nationwide and not necessarily because of celiac. And their study called them PWAGs or people without celiac on gluten-free diet. I was interested in looking at our own community in pediatrics specifically, because no one looked at that before and try to figure out why and how many, and you know, try to understand if it is truly reflective of what we see in adults and in different communities as well.
2: That's great, Dr. Abset. Um, how did you determine how many children in the county had celiac disease? And then which children ate gluten because of celiac disease or for other reasons?
1: So we have in Olmsted County um, a very special situation where our patients mostly get care in one of two institutions, either Mayo Clinic or Olmstead Medical Center. And since 1966, this data is... Maintained in a project called Rochester Epidemiology Project. So we have access to the record of all people who reside in the community and provided access or, I guess, research authorization.
2: How did you, uh, or how many uh, children did you determine had the disease in Olmstead County? And how did you determine how many children in the schools? With, had celiac disease who were following a gluten-free diet
1: and how many were following a gluten-free diet that did not have celiac disease? So to answer that, we use the data that we have as part of the Rochester Epidemiology Project to confirm the celiac diagnosis in the community using the diagnostic codes and the diagnosis criteria as per the North American Pediatric Gastroenterology Society. That's for the solid diagnosis of celiac disease. So anybody we call celiac disease... Have met has met the criteria for sure. Now, for kids who are eating gluten-free and they did not have celiac disease, we basically sent a survey, which actually one of my research assistant worked with every school district to look at the number of kids who are eating gluten, um, sorry, eating lunch at school as part of their you know, um, daily activity, they get lunch at school. And if they eat lunch at school, um, Do they have a specific um, requirement or did they ask for a specific accommodation? And we only looked at the kids who were labeled as gluten-free. And then if they provided a documentation or a reason why they were eating gluten-free. So using that data, we looked at the kids who are part of the lunch program at schools. And then we found that we had identified 82 children who are Requiring or asking for accommodation for a gluten free diet, um, but only 60 of those had celiac diagnosis confirmed. Um, so we had more kids eating gluten free, where we had only 60 patients with a celiac diagnosis. And the list of indications why they were on a gluten free diet included multiple other indications like non-celiac gluten sensitivity, some of them were on it because of Crohn's disease, one was on it because of autism, Um, there was wheat allergy, and then there were cases where they were on it because they thought it was a healthier diet or to lose weight.
0: So I think this is absolutely fascinating because this is obviously a public school system. And the public school has to accommodate under Section 504 kids with celiac disease and their gluten-free diet. Um, but I've, you know, I'm shocked that the schools were willing to accommodate the gluten-free diet for non-medical reasons. Um, did, the, did you find out anything about why they were doing this? Or you know, how did they get it to be accommodated?
1: Well, you know, if you end up getting a, a letter from your provider that you need to be on the special diet, I think they accommodate that. So, I when I talked to them about cases where I didn't think it was clinically indicated, it felt like the family was able to provide some kind of documentation that these kids need to be on a gluten-free diet, and that's where I guess why they were accommodating their need. All, I should also say that. The Rochester School District, which is the biggest city in our county, has a gluten-free lunch on a daily basis. And I don't think um, they would tell you you can't have it. Like, you would, be, you would choose, I would either eat a regular lunch or a gluten-free lunch, and that would be another reason why some of their kids or these kids had access to it, even though they didn't have clinical indication.
0: That's pretty cool that their school district just has that. I think there are many families listening to this podcast who wish that their kids' school district had the the general gluten-free menu available.
2: It's uh, true. It, it seems like it just can't be the rule. Um, Dr. Opsa, it appears to be results that the highest percentage of children following a gluten-free diet was in Rochester, and it was the largest city in the study. And it, The gluten-free diet was the most common among secondary students. Did you either of
1: those statistics surprise you? Not really. I think. I mean, if you look at the not clinically indicated reasons that we found, it was for perception of a healthier diet, weight loss, or I guess some trendy um, fad. Which I think these kids are more exposed to through the social media, and they have access to it, and they were they're experimenting. So I don't I don't think I was surprised when there was no clinical indication it was higher and older kids who have access to those source of data and information that may actually make them try this diet as an option for, I guess, either losing weight or being healthier or happier. Because other cases where there was some medical reason why they were gluten-free was more common in the younger kids where the parents can control their diet. And this is where the kids had like either family history of celiac, autism, or some seizure and skin rashes and Crohn's disease.
2: You Did you also uh, survey or, or discover whether this diet related to their quality of life?
1: That would have been great if we can. We didn't really interview the kids. We used the data from the um, dietitians in the schools, their nurses, um, and much um registry but we did not really interview the kids or a quality of life questionnaire so i mean i we, we did think about that but that would have been a uh, much bigger project with irb and we really didn't end up doing it you know there's tons of data that is available that the effect of gluten restriction is like you know, in many other cases, with food allergy, it does affect the quality of life for patients. So, uh, this wasn't part of our data, so I can't really comment on this specific cohort.
2: Yeah, we well know that, don't we, Vanessa? For you and your children, and my child, and we're very well aware of that, aren't we?
0: Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I want to go you. back and talk a little bit more about this idea of trying to lose weight through the gluten-free diet, and. You know, we've all seen the studies. There's so many looking at the nutritional properties of gluten-free foods and that it's not really the best diet. So how do you talk to, to patients who think that they should be gluten-free to lose weight?
1: So in my practice, I see a lot of cases with, um, I would say, gluten-related complaints in general. Part of that is celiac disease, and there are other reasons why patients choose or Try gluten-free diet for irritable bowel syndrome and overall well-being. And I use the you know the evidence-based medicine practice, like you just said, Vanessa, We have clear evidence that many gluten-free processed foods are higher in glycemic index. Um, very good studies to prove that you know you don't really lose weight. And when I counsel these teenagers or these kids where I don't think they need to be on gluten-free diet, I just you know simply say. If you're better at healthy choices, you're eating healthier, fresh fruits, vegetables and meats and less processed food, you're going to lose weight. So it's not the gluten-free diet. But if you're someone who's used to eating processed food and you go from processed food that has gluten to processed food that doesn't have gluten, I don't think you're going to lose weight. You're going to gain weight. And we have evidence of that. So, I mean, I just try to reason with them and try to say, if you continue to have symptoms, you've already been been on the gluten free diet and you continue to struggle and then you're here to see me for that. I think that's enough proof that you may not need to be on the gluten free diet, which as you said earlier, Vanessa, is not the healthiest diet that there if you don't need to be
0: absolutely so I also want to talk a little bit about, you know, the the cases where kids are on a gluten free diet because of a family history. So I don't know if you follow any of the the Facebook groups or gluten-free family groups in social media, but there's been a lot of conversation recently about parents feeling like they don't need to get their kid a diagnosis because celiac is genetic and that if their kids do better on the gluten-free diet, you know, they just, they must have celiac. How do you respond to that? And what can you tell parents to urge them that they should actually get a diagnosis for their child if they think they have celiac disease?
1: That's a very good question. I think it's part um, education and um, good relation between primary care providers and the families um, before they come to a specialist. But when I make a new diagnosis in an index case in a family and then they have other kids, I proactively screen other kids just because I don't want to start where they already are. We're on gluten-free diet. And it's hard to make diagnosis. In other cases, I you know, I explained to them that the blood test is very simple, it's very sensitive. Um, the likelihood that you could have celiac with negative markers is less than eight or ten percent, so it's very unlikely. And then I also try to explain to them that later in life, if the child is older and then a teenager and they're trying to experiment, it's hard to convince them why do you need to be on gluten-free diet. Two, it may Obscure the diagnosis and make it very hard to confirm Um, did they have disease? did they not have celiac disease that's always easier and it gives peace of mind and also you know the free diet is expensive it's limiting and restrictive for you know other kids in the family so they don't need to be on it i don't see why they need to do that so i try to reason with them if they come to me on a gluten-free diet, I sometimes offer them the HLA testing, which is a genetic testing to decide: Did you really need to be on it or not? And then offer them a challenge. But if they have not started, I explain to them that this you know blood test is very sensitive. It's a simple test; it is highly sensitive, and if it's negative, it is unlikely. And then offer them testing in you know intervals or earlier based on symptoms. Um, the support groups I do follow a few groups. And I guess whenever I talk to patients about support group, I always say it's like anything on the internet or the web. You take the good advice, you take the reasonable advice, but I doesn't really make a lot of sense. You should look into it and ask the experts about their opinion before you follow anybody's recommendation.
2: So I know that a lot of our listeners are familiar with what the gluten-free challenge is, but Dr. would you mind just um, briefly telling us again?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, when someone shows up already on a gluten-free diet, the options are, you know, if they want to be on it and they are for sure symptomatic when, you know, they eat gluten, I say it's up to you. But if you want to know for a fact, do they have celiac disease or not, they'll have to undergo a gluten challenge. Now, there is a possibility of do HLA testing, which is looking at the carrying the permissive gene for celiac disease, specifically DQ2 and DQ8. If you have one of those, which is not enough to make a diagnosis, because up to 38-40% of the general population have it, then it makes sense to run the challenge to see if you have celiac or not. If you don't have the HLA, DQ2, or DQ8, then there, there is no chance, very, very, very slim, Very unlikely. And then I don't think these people have celiac disease and they don't need the challenge. Now, go back to gluten challenge itself.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: This this is, again, extracted from adult trials and data and amount. They do need to be exposed to gluten about at least 10 grams a day, which is kind of equivalent to about one to two slices of wheat bread daily. Um, And I usually do that for like eight weeks. And then at that point, we would repeat celiac markers. Now, if their celiac markers are turning positive, then more likely they end up with, you know, celiac disease, and based on how high the markers are, we decide if they need to biopsy or not. Around eight weeks, if they don't have any increment or increase in their celiac serologies, we would keep them on the regular diet and then repeat the markers in about, like, six months because there are a few cases where people could be slow sensitizer and it takes them a while to, I guess, increase their markers, but at six months, their markers are still negative.
2: It is very unlikely that they had celiac disease. Great, thanks for that explanation, it was great.
0: So in the discussion part of the study, you made a really interesting comment about how there were some kids with celiac who were choosing to bring their own lunches from home rather than participate in the gluten-free menu that was available through the National School Lunch Program. Uh, why do you think it is that these children are not choosing to take part in their school's lunch offerings? Do you think it's because of cross-contamination concerns or parents feeling like they don't, the schools don't do it right? Did you have any sense of, was it the celiac kids or the non-celiac kids who were choosing not to participate?
1: I don't think there was a difference between the celiac or the non-celiac kid. And I think it's a combination of multiple factors. One of it was, I don't want to look different. I don't want to feel different. Um, I don't want people to know that I'm eating a different diet. So they bring their own lunch and they sit with their friends. That's some part Mm -hmm. of it. There is also the part of significant fear and an anxiety of of cross-contamination and risk of eating gluten or having symptoms from being exposed to gluten that I think also is weighing in. Um, And, you know, I wouldn't agree that there's some part where some families didn't feel that the school was truly very vigilant about what's a gluten-free is or what's the definition of gluten-free, even though in, in our own practice and district locally, I know they do actually a very good job with the gluten-free diet. But you know, some people are still worried and they just feel safe. They control what their kids are eating.
2: Well, as a result, of the information collected in comparing it to national trends, what concerns do you think it reveals about public beliefs and their education about the gluten-free diet? Well,
1: I guess there are a few concerns that I have as a medical provider for. Um, patients with celiac disease I guess um, one is the the perception or the theory or the hypothesis that it's a better diet for all and it, it helps your weight it helps your well-being I think that is uh, not supported by any medical evidence uh, Two, I think it's a restrictive diet and if you don't really need to be on it medically um, it's uh, it's hard to justify it. and then it is expensive um, and uh, you know, I, I think it, um, it it's uh, a trend where it may affect the uh, patients who really need to be on gluten free diet. Because uh, what the bigger picture would be, some uh, other you know people involved in their care or their social network, they may not take it seriously because they don't think, well, this is another one who's eating gluten free. I don't know if they really need to be on it or not. So I think it's it's a double edged sword where if we advertise it as a healthier option but we don't take it seriously we may be harming the people who really need to be on a gluten-free diet Mm -hmm. i think it's expensive and i don't really know that there is any evidence to say it's a healthier diet especially for teenagers who are still growing and they need all the nutrients they they can get
2: Mm Well, that's great, Um, and there are lots of studies that show that the nutritional uh, value of the gluten-free diet is not what it is for the regular diet. So that's something that I know a lot of people are working on to try to improve. Um, Well, Dr. Absa, what do you feel are the most important takeaways from the study and its results? I guess
1: the two things that I was um, interested in looking at is a trend between these kids like it is in adults, and I think that is something that we could answer and say, yes, we found more kids on gluten-free diet that, than the kids that have celiac diagnosis. And then two, it's, it's a trend where it is affecting these uh, older children who have access to social media and they're sensitive to it and they're trying it. So I think the two messages that we got out of the study as more people are trying to eat gluten-free, they're not necessarily needing to be money. And then three, I guess we got to be careful with any recommendation we give in general, you know, platforms, because the kids are taking these recommendations and they're trying to follow it.
0: Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for all of this great information. You brought up a lot of interesting topics, and I think it's really going to help people think through – the gluten-free diet so we are all out of time for today i hope that everybody enjoyed today's podcast and we will talk to you again next time